On the last show of this season, we ask whether RFPs are broken, look at lean usability and investigate ways of working closer with clients. Oh yes, and Marcus picks a post from the BBC. Surprise, surprise. Hello Marcus, how are you this week? Uh, not bad, thank you Paul. Um, very busy again, which is why there's another one from BBC, okay. <laughs> you're, you're not asking how I am? I'm not. Oh, do I care. How are you Paul? I'm dying Marcus, uh, no, I'm dying. Not. You're so not dying. I am. My heart, uh, you, you've no idea the stress I live uh, under on a constant basis. Yeah, in you, you know, you live in that great big metropolis. Oh, for <laughs> bloody pop-up adverts that when you roll over them, they start playing. The internet's broken, people. We need to start again and do it properly without ads. <laughs> An ad-free internet. Yes. That's a nice thought. I think that's another reason why the BBC is so good. Because they're ad-free. That is true. Only in the UK, though. It always does my head in when I, lo- when I log into the news site in America and loads of adverts come up. It's like, it's wrong. That's amazing. That's like witchcraft. It's not The BBC witchcraft. with it's adverts? It's just wrong, all right? Well, all yeah. Right. Well, witchcraft's wrong, depending on your point of view, <laughs> I guess. Unless you're into sacrificing chickens. I don't know whether that's that what... Witch- I, I don't know. I'm out of my depth now. Yeah, exactly. You're probably offending all the witches that listen to this Yes, because you have white witches, don't you, <laughs> that apparently don't sacrifice chickens. I don't really know very much about... I'm out of my depth at this point, Marcus. Yeah, therefore, we probably should go somewhere else. Let's talk about something else. We could talk about web designy stuff. Not yet. Is, do you know what's really annoying? You say not yet. But we got a one-star rating on iTunes because we just talk about our personal life and not about web design. I saw you tweet that and had to go and have a look, and it made me giggle because, yeah, I can't sleep because of the one... There's like... What is it? There's, there's about 40 comments on there? I don't know. And there's like two I could find. That One was the um, the utter drivel one, which always made, made me laugh. No, see, that one I like. <laughs> yeah. I like that one. But the other one was, uh, yeah, you're tired... We are better, tired. Better, I am tired. Better retire, chaps. Yes. Or something like that. Anyway. I wish I could retire, Amongst to be frank. all the other ones of yeah, how I, absolutely awesome it is. You don't appreciate what a sensitive individual I am. <sighs> yeah, too bloody sensitive. So, yes. No, no, no. I, I, the, 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 the reason I wanted to talk about the web, I wasn't necessarily wanting to get into the actual posts. Okay. But the, the web is full of really cool stuff at the moment. There's um, the guys at Clear Left have done a um, uh, a one day conference called Responsive Day Out, I think it was called. Yes, and they've just posted all the audio from that online, and it is superb. Link in the show notes to that. So I'm trying to work through all of that, and then I've got all these articles that are really cool articles at the moment I want to read. And then there's I've just discovered um, Adaptive Path have got um, uh, like loads of videos they've released from conferences that they've produced. There's just too much good content on the internet. I haven't got time to look at any of it. No, I know. That's the trouble. <laughs> the internet is full of really clever full people of good stuff. talking about really good things, and I can see none of it. Well, I suppose you can. I t- the thing is, and this is... I don't know if this is a good thing or a bad thing, but I, I will work in the evening. I'll even work on the weekend. But I won't read work... Re- fingers in the air. Work-related po- podcasts. I won't listen to work-related podcasts or, or watch videos out of work. Why not? Why will because you work I, outside of work? Because I have to. Right. Yeah, but I don't have to watch an adaptive, an adaptive path video. By the way, I know I'd like. By the way, link to the adaptive path yeah. video in the show. Link in the show notes. Um, but yeah, I suppose that's just yeah. I'm not. I'm just not dedicated enough. But <laughs> just don't give a shit. I'd rather read a story or watch something. You know. Yeah. Like, I'd, I'd, I'd like to sort of lose myself in fiction. No, I think it's important. You've got to, you've got to have a break and you've got to do other things. So I mm. totally agree with that. I'm not criticising you for your lack of commitment to work. I think you know, do the bare minimum you could get away with. Absolutely, really. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, if you're a prospective, hide in a cupboard. Yeah. If you're a prospective client, <laughs> s- uh, sign up Headscape. We'll do the bare minimum we can get away with. 
What was it? Yeah. We we really so don't. So not. We don't <laughs> really present Headscape very well, do we? There was another one we were talking about a couple of weeks ago where we I made some outrageous comment about us shafting clients or something. Uh, yeah. I can't remember what it was now. Why have you had a comment on that? No, 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 no. <laughs> yeah, everyone's Nobody just, cares no, about that. So yeah, so we're only we've only got three. They listeners, know. Anyway. They know we're joking. Yeah, the three listeners know we're joking. Exactly, and none of them have got any money to hire us anyway. So what does it matter? <laughs> So yes, we've been uh, we've been yeah busy yeah busy which is good but we're going off. I'm going on holiday next week, which is nice. Yes, uh, and as are you. I well, believe. yeah. So I'm having a workman's holiday. Yeah. Well, no, I'm taking two weeks to go to drive down to the Black Forest in Germany to do a one day. Have any ghetto? I am going to have ghetto <laughs> to do a one day workshop. With um, Smashy Magazine, oh, link in the show so, notes. So that's work. So that counts cool, as work, cool, isn't yeah. it? Two weeks. For Two a... weeks for one day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. That's the kind of work slobbing around ratio that's, I think we should all have. That's kind of cool. It's yeah. all the consultancy work we're doing at the moment. It's really fun. I like consultancy work. It's hard work, though. Oh, no. It's <laughs> only hard work because you have to do it, too. <laughs> rather than just handing stuff across to the designers and developers. Mm-hmm. And they have to do the work. Yeah, but it, you have to kind of concentrate. <laughs> <laughs> and the designers and developers don't concentrate when they do their not. work. They just kind of, it's all just colouring things have you in seen, and lining things up, isn't have it? Have you seen Ed's really cool um, uh, wirefra- way of showing responsive wireframes? Link in the show notes because I wrote a blog post about that. Yes, but I can't remember looking at it. Oh, it's awesome. Yeah, I have Really seen. clever. Yeah, so it's a way yeah, of presenting yes, yes. responsive design to clients. Mm-hmm. And it looks really, really cool. I really like that. Talking of responsive days out and things like that. All this responsiveness is getting complicated, doesn't it? I still love responsive, responsive design since I've turned blind. It just, uh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's just brilliant. It is brilliant. And I hate it when I want to go to a site that isn't responsive. No, absolutely. There's an ex- expectation there. So last Wednesday I was at um, Altitude, the, the conference in Portsmouth. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And just, it was was an interview-based thing. So I interviewed um, a load of different guests, and one of them was Jeremy Keith, and and he was talking about responsive design, as he he always does. Mm -hmm. Um, And just, the more I think about responsive design, the more it's just, that is how the web should be. Yes. You know, this kind of, you build one interface, it adapts for whatever device you're using on. And the more and more of these devices come along, the more and more I'm convinced it's the way to go. Although, interestingly... If you are Robin Christofferson from Ability uh, Ability Net, yeah, mm-hmm. link in the show notes, um, who is blind, mm-hmm. flipping apps are the way to go. Seriously, it, really fascinating talking to him about um, I, just iOS generally and how incredibly um, uh, uh, accessible the whole of iOS is, and so all of the apps that are built for iOS mm. are just really, really accessible out of the box. So you try and go to Amazon.com for him, and he he wants to commit suicide within about five minutes. Mm. Use the Amazon.com uh, or the Amazon app, and it's absolutely amazing. It's really good for him mm. to the point, right? I mean, I've got people laughing over this because <laughs> I said. Um, so you say, oh, it's so accessible. Everything's accessible. And I said, so what about a camera then? Could you take a photograph as a blind person? Ha, 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 everybody laughs. Yes, he can, right? It's incredible. It will go. He holds up the camera. And, of course, he can't see what he's taking. Mm-hmm. But he, um, he can um, – it will say to him, one face central. So he knows that he's got the person's face in the, in the camera and he can take the picture. That's amazing. Isn't that incredible? And I said, all right, I've got you now. Maps. Bet you can't use maps. He can use maps on the iOS device, right? So he can run his finger across the screen, across the map, and it will tell him what road his finger's on. And as he moves along the road, if he moves his finger off of it, it starts beeping. And if he moves his finger back on the road... It, it will, you know, it, yeah, yeah. the beep goes away. So you could tell which directions roads run in and where they intersect with one another. He can identify where he is. The other one he says, which is brilliant for him, is FaceTime, right? Again, you think, he's uh, blind. Why would he care about FaceTime? Yeah. FaceTime's brilliant because if he's somewhere and he gets stuck and he doesn't know what he do- he's doing, he can just ring a friend, show them whatever oh, right. it is yeah, he's yeah, trying yeah, to yeah. do and say, yeah. so what's going on here? He's also got apps... 
Um, of course, yeah. Sorry, I'm really getting into yeah. this. It was just, it like opened up this whole world. Uh, and of course, Robin was amazing anyway. The first time I heard him speak was, uh, was same at, as you, media. at Media 2005, yeah. when it, it was both of our first exposure to a screen reader, wasn't it? Yeah. Hearing someone with it. And you, well, when, it was the entire audience, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. We were people like, just going, <gasps> <Yeah>. <laughs> I cannot believe what I'm hearing. Uh, but that's what I felt again hearing mm. him um, talk uh, on when, uh, last Wednesday. So, yeah, so the, the other thing is, He's got apps that'll do things like he can take a um, a picture of an object and it will identify the object and tell him what it is. Right. Mm. So he went out to um, the supermarket with his family mm-hmm. and they were walking around the supermarket and his kids said, "Oh, what's that?" Right. And of course, he can't see what it is, so he just takes a photograph and it tells him that it's a courgette or whatever, oh. you know, some vegetable that he never heard of, yeah. and it, it goes further. So he can take. Um, pictures of um, barcodes, for example, on objects or just objects, and it'll recognise the brand name on the packet or whatever. Yeah. And of course, it doesn't just tell him what the thing is; it tells him its nutritional value, where he can buy it cheaper, all of the other kind of stuff. And so, this device has just transformed the blind community's world. It's just so very, very cool. And all of this is built, baked into a device we use every day, and probably none of us ever realised it did all this cool stuff. No, just goes to show um, the depth of thinking that goes into Apple's yep. products. Absolutely. Quite impressive, really, isn't it? It is incredibly <laughs> impressive. So, although we're getting very excited about responsive design, if you're a blind person, you're getting very excited about native apps. So there's, you know, there's a place for everything, isn't there? Anyway, shall we, t- shall we talk about our stories? Yes. <laughs> Okay, so our first post is um, one from eConsultancy. Have you actually had a chance to look at any of these posts yet, Marcus? Of course, of course not. No. Um, <laughs> this, is, this is normal. I comment as we go along. It's all I occasionally have some wise words, but... It's all a bit rushed this week, isn't it? Yeah. But, <laughs> good, good post on eConsultancy. Is the RFP broken? So this is the kind of thing that you'd be quite interested in, Marcus. Depends on the this RFP, really, doesn't it? Yeah, well, that's kind of what they're talking about. So it's talking about... Um, you know how the the normal way uh, that, RFP means request for proposal. Yes, yeah, no, that's a good point. The normal way that um, it it works, isn't it? If somebody mm. sends out an RFP um, or a brief, as we I've noticed that um, Americans don't really use the word brief. They don't really know what you're talking about when they when you say brief, which is interesting. Really? Yeah. Or perhaps it was just the Americans I was speaking to about this. Oh, okay. Everybody I looked blankly did. at me. Yeah, maybe. maybe. I, anyway, I don't know, but yeah, yeah. I mean, basically, yes. It's it's a it's a brief for a job. Um, RFP. We often have more official ones called invitations to tender. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like the RFP usually over the ITT because the RFP is just saying we've got this idea. This this this, this is what it's about. Um, can you send us a proposal? Because that's basically a request yeah. for a proposal for for how you'd approach the job, what, what it would cost, etc. And you don't have to fill in twenty thousand uh, forms forms for the procurement department, which you do if you're responding to an invitation to tender. Uh, uh, most yeah. invitation to tenders more bureaucratic then. Yeah, you get those from the European Commission and well, and from the local council. It's council stuff. Right. Uh, it's as soon as you've got a separate procurement department, things get complicated. From well, it, it's, it's if people, it's if an organisation um, has signed up for um, a method of, um, or, you know, okay. certain processes that it, it, it states it will buy its stuff via a particular type of process. Right. Uh, okay, and if you do that, if they do that, then usually it's misery, misery and gloom for anyone who's responding. Yeah, because yeah. it's ba- you get lovely things like um, how will you? Uh, it's, so we're talking about the deliverables, and it's um, I remember one when they will will your deliverables be uh, shipped to directly to our loading bay mm-hmm. um, or or via the front desk or something like that. And, you know, we're obviously talking about digital deliverables here, but they were referring to sort of something on a pallet. Yeah. Uh, so you kind of, and you get a lot, you have to deal with a lot of, the, a lot of that sort of thing. And you also get to deal, have to 
ask questions about your policies, which if you were a 500 or 1,000-person co- company, then, yeah, okay, you probably would have certain policies in place. Yeah. But if you're a 10-person company, you probably don't. Yeah. So you get this feeling of kind of like inferiority immediately. Well, we don't really do that. Yeah. Um, so you think, well, is this a waste of time, mm. et cetera, et cetera. And, you can't, and normally, because, because of fairness, you can't speak to anyone. That's the big one, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. But anyway, I've gone off into more. That's more ITT land rather yes. than RFP. RFP. RFP usually means there's someone I can phone up or go and visit and have yeah. a chat about their RFP. Yeah. But anyway, we haven't, I haven't read any of the... the uh, no, no, no. I mean, the article basically the, splits down into two things. It splits it down into what makes a good stroke bad RFP. Okay, yeah. yeah. Um, and then a, a proposal for a kind of better way of doing things, really. Um, I mean, in terms of bad RFPs, and I've got to say, as I read through this, I, I couldn't agree more with most of the stuff he's written. Um, you know, a bad RFP, RFP would be overly prescriptive. You know, we want to work with this kind of technology. Here's our information architecture. You know, we want these design elements. Da, 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 da. Yeah, I mean, do you know what? It, it's actually about communication. Because I was going to say a bad RFP is is a, a one-sider that says, um, you know, we, we kind of think we should be doing something, man. Right. Uh, but actually, if you can then go in and talk to them about that and ask them questions that you get sensible answers to, then, well, it's all right. Yeah. Do you see what I mean? Yeah. So I'm um, overly prescriptive. If you can challenge them... It can them, be underly prescriptive yeah, as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's not a word, is it? But, you know. Underly. Underly. Like um, but, yeah, if... if if you can challenge something that's overly prescriptive and they go, oh, yeah, I hadn't thought of that. That's a good idea. Yeah. Then it's okay. Yeah. So, I mean, they also talk about the ch- kitchen sink approach, basically, where you get RFPs that are uh, wish lists, basically. Yes, yes, yeah. And that's really hard, especially, I mean, then we're going back to the ITT. These are all problems with ITTs. Yeah. The same things apply, but you can't talk to them. Yeah. So, yes, we'd like these 60,000 things. Yeah. And you have to respond to each one of them. And, yeah. But split it up and tell us, you know, per task, per hour, per minute, what how each one's going to take you to do. And then you kind of, and then you end up with this huge figure, which isn't anywhere near their budget. And you go, well, hang on a minute. I don't know which is important, which yeah. isn't, and all this kind of thing. Well, that's why I really liked, I mean, we were up with the RSPB yesterday talking um, about a particular piece of work that they want to do. Um, uh, and... Um, theirs was really good wasn't it because it was split down into have must haves yeah. could haves yeah, yeah. you know maybe this would be nice you know if if all the planets are moscow. Nine. moscow moscow must, must should uh could would like how's that moscow because that's the a really bad oh okay yeah. Oh, okay <laughs> yeah so i mean that's that's a good way of doing it i like that yeah um, so, uh, what other things has he got on his list? Uh, overly detailed descriptions of features and exactly how they should work. Um, I, I was both ways. Well, that does. the thing is, is that, you know, surely it should us as designers should be providing guidance over those things. So being overly prescriptive is, you know, just because they suggest. I get frustrated by invitations to tender or RFPs or whatever you want to call them that, kind of define quite specifically how a feature should work when I know damn well there's a better way of doing it. Well, yeah, that's that's fine. And if you can say, we think this is the better way of doing it, and they go, oh, that's good, then, yeah. then it's Again, okay. it comes back to yeah. the, the, the talk. But it'd be better if the, you know, perhaps we ought to skip on to the good things that he talks about. Yes, that, you know, he talks about not uh, fixating on rigid processes or features and um, being focused on achieving outcomes rather than the method of how to achieve those outcomes. Exactly. What, 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 how would this be viewed as, as a success is a really good Yeah. Piece. And another one he's got is the ability for respondents to formulate and ask questions, which is the picking up the phone, talking to them mm. you know um asking well-framed questions from the the person that you're you're commissioning as well um and understanding the communication and business issues rather than just focusing on the the deliverer it goes back to the thing that we always talk about even when when we run projects this thing of um you know the client should be focusing on the problem and we should be coming up with the solution and a lot of rfps are the solution written down or their proposal of what the solution should be yeah when it would be better if it was focusing on what the problem was instead yeah i didn't i'm just gonna have a moan this is okay slightly this goes back to this kind of this idea of you're not allowed to speak to anyone yeah so what they do is you're allowed to send back questions via email yeah that will 
then be responded to and shared with everyone who's been invited. I don't, no problem with the sharing part of it. Yeah. The problem is, is questions via email. Yeah. Qu- any, if you go and meet someone, there's a back and forth. There is a discussion to find out what the, what the best solution is. If you ask a question, chances are the, the answer will leave you with a, okay, but. Yeah. And then you've got to go through the whole process again. It's got to be shared with everyone. Blah, yeah. blah, 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 blah. We just want to have a conversation. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's having it. that that kind of face not face to face necessarily, but yeah, that doesn't have person to, to person just discussion. To, but face to face is better. Mm. You will. Yeah, that's that's what I guess what I'm saying. Who, who, Mr. or Mrs. Person who is sending out this IT to to us on and to whoever else, you will get a better proposal yeah. if you have a chat with us. Yeah, that's yeah. the bottom line. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, moan so, over. So he he talks about a better way of doing it. In this article, I say it's a he. I don't know whether it is. Yes, Mark. Um, but actually, I don't know whether I necessarily agree with with the approach that he's taking. He talks about um, that an RFP should consist of um, well planned scenarios, so um, kind of use cases. Mm-hmm. And I can kind of see where he's coming from, but, I, but that sometimes even that is something that you kind of need to explore with the designer together. Yeah. You know, I've got to say that the, the best RFPs we've ever responded to is where the client just comes to us with a problem and we almost help them write the RFP. Yes. You know, those mm. are, those are the best ones where you, you know, you've gone to a web design agency and often we write an RFP and then it will go out to tender. You know, there'll be other companies invited to respond to it as well. That comes back to what I was saying about, uh, the the underly prescriptive one is the one I like. As long as we can then, if they if if a phone call basically, yeah, somebody phones up says our website's not working for us. Uh, can can you come up and have a chat with us? We are speaking to other people as well. Yeah, that's the best RFP. Yeah, by miles. Yeah, absolutely. So all of this about creating scenarios, I'm not. I'm not, to be honest, you know, the, the, the title of the article is the RFP broken. And I'd almost like to say, is the RFP relevant? Yeah. Or is it actually better just to have a chat with, you know, three, three different web design agencies, get their opinions on it? Mm. Um, you know, and, and, and at the end of that meeting, you will say, I, uh, in those meetings, I say, okay, well, my next step is to write a proposal yeah. for you. Yeah, so you've you've, you've gathered all the information yeah. you need through a conversation rather than a formal document. Exactly. Okay, so so we have now rejected the RFP. Absolutely. Oh, even though we spend most of our lives <laughs> responding to them. So, <laughs> so it makes it sound like so not only now is Headscape lazy and does the bare minimum as we established earlier, we also we don't want to hear from you if you have have got an RFP. If you have no, an RFP, please do send it through. Yeah, we, we don't mind responding yeah. to them, but it's it's nice to have a conversation as well. I've become very self conscious all of a sudden, you know. Uh-oh. <laughs> it's following that .dot net article that um that. They wrote, you know, they did a, a kind of interview of me. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And and I've just done it again. We were just talking about um, Headscape. And so we shared a load of really good points. And then I undermined it with this kind of self-deprecating thing about how crap Headscape are. Check out this bit that came from, from um, the, the .NET article. A pronounced pattern in Boag World's pat- oh, sorry, Boag's. Okay. <laughs> Don't even know who Pauls. I am anymore. Um, Patter became apparent. He enthuses on a topic, demonstrates his prowess, and then knocks himself down with a swipe of self-deprecation. I just did exactly the same with Headscape. Mm-hmm. I need to stop doing it. You do, because we're really, really good. So you're really instantly good. so good. But see, you're doing the same yeah. thing. You're doing exactly the same thing. We are no, terrible no, we are at self-deprecation. Really, really good. We are good at stuff. <laughs> there you go. But we we self-deprecate the whole time, right? What's the next article, Paul? Yes, we are talking about something else. Um, UX magazine. This one comes from, okay. um, and it's about designing with stakeholders. Question mark. I don't know why there should be a question mark there. Mm. Seems like a statement to me. Accelerating the design process through co-creation. Okay, and this is by Angela Craven. And um, for some reason, it has a hippo on it, and I, I I haven't been able to work out why the hippo is there. The hippo is the huge, enormous. Um, uh, organization that has the stakeholders in it and the little bird on its nose ah. is the designer. 
Oh, I didn't notice the little bird on its nose. I'm making that up, by the way. But it I sounds like the kind is. of thing, doesn't it? Yes. So basically, this this article, I picked this article because it um, talks in very much the way we talk, right? Mm-hmm. You know, uh, and, and it screams client-centric web design, uh, which is a book I wrote link in the show notes to that i don't know why i keep saying link in the show notes because it creates so much work for me going through and finding all those it's a pain in the ass um oh and i'm also doing a different thing because i've had a couple of requests that said can we group all the the links together to make them easier to find in the show notes so i'm going to do that okay um but i don't know why i needed to say that i didn't need to say that at all so anyway this is a really good article check it out essentially what it's doing is it's encouraging um co-creation Right. So instead of take your RFP, write your proposal, win the work, go away and produce magic. Um, it works on the assumption that the client and the designer should work really closely together throughout the process um, to create great work at the end of it. Yeah, that, that's the premise. We were talking about that in just the last section. Yeah, I guess we were in a way. It's that communication and interaction, the mm-hmm. whole, but not just through the sales process, which is what we were talking about before, but throughout the whole process from beginning to end. And this is very much how we how we work. In fact, going back again to the um, RSPB example of where we were up um, with them yesterday, you know that is the way that we will work with them. Um, you know, so we will we show them um, sketches of you know or different sources of inspiration. We'll show them sketches. We'll do wire framing together as a group we even talked didn't we earlier today about maybe getting them to move board with us mm. so we move board collectively rather than uh, the designer doing it um yep done that before did, did that with uh, another american client it was very interesting exercise it was brilliant actually I, i'm really glad we did it because mm. that, that was the first time we tried it and it worked really really well and we have all these different exercises that we like to do with clients um the cereal box exercise where we get them to design a cereal box Mm-hmm. Um, which sounds ridiculous. That's from Kenneth and James Box's book. Ah, is that it? One. Right. Oh, okay. So Link in the show notes yeah. to that as well. Uh, but the Lee's idea. The Lee's good one, yeah. Of the designer reception area. Yes. That's more from a kind of visual point of view. Yes. Or it, yeah, it's mood. It's, yes, it's, it's more it, aesthetics. Yeah, get, getting the mood because obviously you're getting your. What you're trying to get people to do is think about what kind of impression they want to give uh, a new visitor to their building. Yeah. The same thing applies. So, but, again, but, but it's an abstract, so people are much more willing to kind of throw in ideas that they wouldn't if you were just talking about a home page design, for example. Yeah. Uh, Lee's just posted about that on the, on okay. the Baragor website, mm. so link in the show notes to that as well. Whew, we need to stop that. Um, <laughs> so, there, so there's lots of different methods that you can use. Um, we do user attention exercises. We're, we're basically trying to include the client as much in the process. Mm. Um, and I think it's really, really worthwhile to do because it, it ensures that the um, – that well, one is you get a really good understanding of the challenges um, of the business and you get to a, a much deeper understanding of what's going on behind the project. Um, so that's one aspect of it. Also, you're educating the client as you go you go through the process as well about what makes good web design. Um, but most importantly of all is that the, 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 the stakeholders get the website. They understand the website. They feel a sense of ownership over the website and are enthusiastic about it because it's as much their website as it is yours. Mm. Um, and somewhere in the article, I can't find it at this exact moment, but somewhere in the article, it says something along the lines of um, that, you know, and this this relates to something you said ages ago, actually, Marcus, which is it doesn't matter where a good idea comes from. It's still a good idea. And the reason what you said ages ago was that um, it's not only designers that can come up with good design ideas. Do you remember us having that conversation? Yeah, which is why, because you said in the previous thing about, you know, we'll provide the solution, you tell us what the problem is. Yes, well, that was it. I don't actually necessarily agree with that. Yes. I do. It's the, a starting point, the, but it shouldn't be prescriptive. Exactly, yeah. Just just because you're, uh, you're, you're, I don't know, a marketer, not a designer, doesn't mean say you can't have any good design ideas. Absolutely. So that's one of the things that they've come up with here is that mm. we need to, as designers, be a lot less, um, you know, kind of protective. high and mighty, protective 
Um, and one of the other things I think we fear quite a lot is is exposing. <laughs> they describe it in this um, post as exposing the chaos. Yeah, yeah. You know, the, the design process isn't a neat and tidy one. You know, it's not always kind of progressing through these stages. And I think we sometimes fear that if we expose the client to that, they will react badly um, because it seems quite so chaotic. But actually, I think we really need to do that. We need to open up our processes, let the client in, get them actively involved, and it creates a better website. Mm. At the end of the day, there's just, there's, I don't think you can really argue with that. Um, and it's a really satisfying process to go through. Um, and yes. c- clients go away much happier, in my experience, as well. So check out that post. Um, uh, the, the author talks in a lot more detail about these kinds of things and about um, how to communicate often um, and early with the client um, and you know some of the, the kind of um, benefits of taking this kind of approach. So check it out. Great article on UX Magazine. <laughs> So my next post is from Jerry McGovern, usability mm-hmm. specialist, and I've said it before and I will say it again. I think we are some kind of in some way linked on a telepathic level, me and Jerry. <laughs> um, it, it's really funny. It's like um, I, I agree with so much that Jerry writes and, and most of the time he's slightly ahead of me. Um, and he has um, been thinking about things and I then come around to his way of thinking and and see his post on the subject independently we'll kind of come to the same conclusion this time it's the other way around this time something that I've been um, banging on about for quite a while he suddenly picked up um, on this subject and is going for it this particular post is one that he's written following attending a um, a conference in Denver um, about lean usability. And the one line that really leaped out at me in this post is that, um, or one paragraph, should I say, is this one. Continual improvement is not something most organizations are good at, but is an approach that is absolutely essential for success on the web. Uh, one speaker at the usability conference told me about his how his government can find millions for um, every three or four years to redesign the main government website, but that in the intervening years it allocates practically zero resources for maintenance and continual improvement of the site. Um, and the the whole article is is basically saying we need to stop periodic redesigns. We need to end this boom-bust cycle um, where we're investing big chunks of cash every three to four years to redesign our websites. And instead, we need to be investing you know, on an ongoing basis. He, he says at another point, the vast majority of websites I've worked with would be 100 times better off if they spent $50,000 every year to improve their website rather than spending 200000 every three to four years. Um, and it's just spot on. And he goes on and he identifies some of the problems um, that, that are occurring, whereby it's so much e- it seems to be so much easier for organizations to allocate a large chunk of money periodically than it is for them to, um, to hire another member of staff. It's about responsibility. Go on. If you view a website as a, as a, a book. Yeah then it's something that you can put a load of effort into and hire lots of experts and get great design, um, I don't know, illustration or whatever. Yeah. And then you publish it and it's on the shelf and then you can forget about it. Yeah. That's a really nice model because then you can go on and do the next thing you do in your job. Yeah. But what we're saying is you should view it as a magazine. Right. That that is published every week or every day or whatever. Um, so therefore you've got to come up with good different content all the time. You've got to be, Oh, we're going to try this in the summer. So, yeah. um, because you know, things, things change seasonally. Um, or we're going to try this, this slight change in the design because we feel that it reflects the branding that somebody else in the organization yeah. is doing. Basically it's the way you view it. You shouldn't view it as something that is, uh, I like the book magazine comparison. Yeah. That well, works really well, doesn't it? That's it's exactly not a book. What, that's what it is. And it, but it's, I think if you're a marketing director, viewing it as a book is a lot easier than viewing it as a magazine. Yeah. Because a magazine never goes away. No. It's always nagging at you. Oh, yeah. God, what the hell am I going to do with it this week? But that's what it should be, mm. is what this is trying but to say. But the weird thing is, is that, you know, people take, take uh, from an organizational point of view, 
you don't just have don't just do marketing every two three years you'll have a marketing department that's constantly dedicated yeah, to marketing saying, but you, right we're going to do the book at the moment and we're going to book done and then we'll move on to the, yeah. whatever the other thing is the, the the campaign yeah but actually it's yeah and that i can understand why people do that yeah it's just so frustrating mm. because it's you know it's not a it's not a healthy way of working with a website because I, the way I always explain it is, you know, if you think of um, a roller coaster kind of graph where it yeah. kind of peaks and then troughs and peaks and troughs and um, mm. that kind of thing, that the, and you kind of slice off the top third of that that mm. graph. That top third is the time when the website's effective, mm. and then it gets to this point where. You know, it's out of date, the content's out of date, the design's looking dated, the technology is, you know, is now, you know, way behind and far too complex to use, et cetera, et cetera. So for the vast majority, probably two thirds of the life cycle of the website, it's totally ineffective. People are embarrassed by it. Mm. They don't refer people to it because they're ashamed of it. So what's the, you know, what a waste of money. And then what, what annoys me most of all is it kind of gets to the bottom of the trough at the point where senior management say, we need to sort out our website. And the whole lot is thrown out. All of that investment, whether good, bad or indifferent, and a new website is put online. And the previous website designers are smeared by the poor quality of what they delivered three yeah. years ago yeah when it <laughs> so, was probably so you have to get somebody new in yeah to teach them how your business works and go through that whole rigmarole again yeah it's ridiculous you know mm. and it, it, and there's so many easy ways to incrementally improve a website these days mm. you know there's some really great tools you know for a b testing for i'm in the process of writing a, a post i'm hoping to post on smashing magazine about tools for incremental change you know there's there's a b testing tools there's um tools like crazy egg which um you know can look at scrolling and, and hot spots and that kind of stuff on the page there's there's tools for working out whether your calls to action are being effective there's verify app and tools like that which i'm not linking to all these in the <laughs> you know uh, there's so many great tools out there that make this kind of thing easy mm. even usability testing even classic usability testing you know there's tools like um usertesting.com you know which allows you to do remote usability testing really lightweight and very very easily and that's again what jerry mcgovern touches on he he suggests some tools in his article as well uh, you know, and we need to get into this model. It, I, it, it's the biggest single thing that frustrates me um, with mm. our work. Um, you know, the agency model is you're brought in, you design a website and you go away. I hate it. I hate that. I love the clients where we get to work with them on an ongoing basis. You know, those are the ones where mm. you can really have an impact. You know, and if I look at the look at the websites where we've got the most glowing testimonials where we've got the best um you know uh, examples of hard stats that have improved mm. these are the clients that we work with on a continual basis you know whether it be wff and it's ten thousand percent increase in conversions over five years or whatever it was or the rafbf that we work with you know and they're they're jumping donations these are people we work with on a continual basis rather than one off mm. and that is what i want to do more of it just drives drives me nuts ah! <laughs> well you ranted earlier so i yeah, figure yeah. it must be my turn yeah. by now <laughs> So there you go. There's not much else to say on Jerry McGovern's post. Otherwise, other than check it out um, and look at, uh, 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 you know, I think if you're a website owner, Jerry McGovern is somebody you should be reading on a regular basis anyway. But this article in particular, I think you'll find particularly challenging and particularly exciting as well, because there are incredible opportunities associated with this. So with that said, let's steam on to Marcus's BBC News Technology Post of the Week. Paul is so rude. Is it? I mean, is the BBC you the are only... You web- so rude, aren't you? I'm just You even interested. had to say it on the intro today. Well, rude, rude, rude. Do you read any other website? Yeah, but not that well, I think would be even remotely <laughs> um, useful to this podcast. And, and to be honest... Mm, not really <laughs> so the, the really honest answer is no it deals with everything i'm interested in really well <laughs> that's so sad well i was having this conversation with a friend in the pub last night because he was basically saying so where do you get your news from bbc and he's like well yeah ob- obviously but uh, where know, else do you, do you get it from everyone else 
I'm like, no. Um, he said, because he reads Russian news, and it's like, whoa, and Al Jazeera. And I know a lot of people that read Al Jazeera. Yeah. Because um, he said, you know, to get, get a completely a different view yeah. on, on the world. And I was like, okay, yeah, quite. Well, he said most of it, you know, you're not interested in. But sometimes there'll, yeah. something will come up you'll, that will just kind of make your hair stand on end because it's just such a different viewpoint. This has nothing to do with the, um, no. with the article we're going to look at. But, I mean... You, with from a web design point of view in your job right mm. where do you learn stuff from there then um th- the honest answer you to, don't <laughs> no i have been doing a podcast for the last oh, eight years right where we discuss news news uh, yeah so yeah i suppose you're reading all Paul the stuff that Boag is the person i'm I your get filter my news from yeah yeah and i, I guess conferences as well you, oh, you yeah, love absolutely. your conferences and you learn yeah. lots from that yeah. yeah, and I do, I do, I mean, I, I look at a list apart. Um, oh, so you do, you do yeah. look at more. Yeah, but you kind of look at those to find... The this. ones that you might be interested yeah. in. So the, yeah, so this is kind of, for this section of, the, uh, of this particular show, it's like not that kind of thing. I need to be finding something different. Right. So the first place I go is there, is, is the BBC News site, and I go, well, that's interesting, that'll do. All right. <laughs> so that's the thinking behind it, as well as be, obviously being hugely lazy and having no time. Okay. So what is this one, then? Microsoft do something. <clears throat> Microsoft unveils self-sketching whiteboard prototype, and I'm not even going to go into this. The- this just sounds insane. I mean, mm-hmm. that, either that's the most <clears throat> undescriptive, indescriptive, undescriptive, indescriptive, um, undescriptive title... I have ever read on a post or Microsoft have basically released a whiteboard which you can just go home and your meeting notes end up on the board. It's like mm-hmm. self-sketching. What does that mean? What it means is that you can start drawing stuff, diagrams, not, right. just, not just words, and it will complete them for you. It, it's it's <laughs> it's intelligent enough to be able to kind of think. Oh, someone else is. It's obviously a huge database, or it's I don't know. I don't. Know, God knows. I don't read the article. But the reason why it caught my eye is I've never quite fallen in love with the iPad. I've, right. I've got Caroline's older iPad One, which yeah. I think is for, uh, it's. Uh, as a resource for when you're watching the telly, yeah. something comes up on an advert yeah. or something, you go, well, look that up. That's yeah. a, it's a useful thing. But what I want it to be is something that I can take notes in properly, right. I, like I can with a notepad. Yeah. I can draw yeah. stuff and I can do a big squirrely line around to that note up yeah. there and put a circle around that. And yeah. Like people take notes freehand. I want to be able to do that on an iPad, yeah. but, but I can't. All I can really do is type. Yeah, and look at stuff on, and you know, pull in links. Fair enough. Um, this looks like a step towards what I would like to be able to do. Right, as in, basically, you can just you can write with your finger or with a stylus, I assume, uh, but, but do you know, join stuff up, do diagrams, and, and through magic, I don't know how it works. It, it helps you complete your diagrams. Okay. But you could kind of, I suppose it doesn't do the completing, but there's, there's, there's enough apps that, that are on the iPad that allow you to write handwriting and, you know. Oh, I tried one. It was rubbish. Yeah. They, that's the rubbish. I, so you think this one's going to be better? Well, the fact that it's a big board, I think, helps. Yes, absolutely. Um, yeah. I don't know. It, 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 it warrants a news story. Right. So therefore, it's kind of possibly this prototype, because it's a prototype at the moment, um, could end up being something cooler than... So is this kind of things like if you draw... Is it that it completes it, or is it that just that it makes it pretty? So if you start drawing a pie chart, it'll ch- turn it into a pretty t- pie chart. Yeah, I think I think that's what it does. It, oh, this is a pie chart. Or this is a bar graph they do. Right. Or this is a graph. We'll, right. we'll turn it into something that yeah. isn't wobbly. Yes. I don't know. Yeah, now that yeah. sounds... Uh, that's, that and makes that more sense in cool. my head. That's a kind of cool thing. And obviously, you'd be able to export what you've done. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. I mean, I've tried, I've tried one of the, the writing with your finger things on iPad, and it's just no. awful. Well, you have to <laughs> zoom in and out so much yeah. in order to get anything small enough. Because yeah. you can't do that level of detail that you yeah. do with handwriting. Yeah. It's still got a long way to go, isn't it, from that, that But surely this must be the right way to go. Oh, do, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, being able to... It, it, the experience of writing, handwriting on a screen mm. is still really, really poor. Mm. 
You know, considering we've got voice dictation now that can understand our voice and turn it into text, mm. how come you cannot, you know, yes, there is high handwriting apps that can do OCR supposedly mm. and, and turn it into text and that kind of thing, but they're shit. They're not <laughs> yeah. very good. Yeah. And you can't even, at the moment, writing on screen is just such a poor experience, isn't it, compared to writing on mm. paper? Yeah. Well, I, can re- I can remember years and years ago 15 years ago we used to deal with touchscreen apps yeah a lot. well touchscreen kiosks yeah yeah back in the day apps <laughs> yeah. um but we were designing for touchscreen yeah big buttons and all the standard stuff and that kind of died to death and i can remember all the way through the early 2000s thinking touchscreen was really quite good and yeah. then the iphone comes out and it's like oh someone's bothered to do it properly but the, the same it, we, we basically need apple to do this not microsoft as talking about how brilliant they do, th- brilliantly they do things um, earlier about their accessibility stuff on the iPhone. But yeah, maybe it's I just- think the big thing. I think the big problem. See, a whiteboard is easier, mm. right? If you think about a whiteboard, because it's up on a wall, so it's vertical. Mm. Um, and the way you write on a whiteboard compared to a piece of paper that's mm. horizontal, you rest your hand on the paper. Yeah. That's the trouble. And so, from a touch point of view, mm. unless you've got a stylus... Yeah, this comes back to... The, yeah, this is where I was going with this. And remember the first smartphones all had yeah. styluses, and then it was like, oh, stylus. Oh, yeah. You know. But actually, they're probably a really cool thing. Yeah. Because then... Because I remember I used to have um, the tablet, didn't I? The, the Microsoft the produced. One. Yeah, the compact. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Back in the day. And that had handwriting on it. Yeah. And that actually was quite good because it, it would only recognise the stylus. It wouldn't recognise any other inputs. You could rest your hand on it. Yeah. But even then, the problem is that writing on a smooth surface means your handwriting slips. Mm. You, you're slipping the whole time. It's not like writing pen on paper. And and there because pen and paper has got that friction to mm, it that yeah. controls your handwriting and stops it kind of going really <laughs> yeah. wavy and big and they haven't solved that either but, so there is a long way I'm to go sure here it's fixable but yes yeah, somebody clever do it please for me because marcus <laughs> wants to <laughs> yeah. but i'm beginning to reach the point of one of two things could happen here mm-hmm. either the technology could come along that allows you to replicate the handwriting experience much better mm-hmm. or people just stop handwriting but because no, these are really important all right maybe we might he's waving his hands it, around there by these, the way my, they you know being able to do that is one of the most i'm joining my finger and my thumb together is one of the most human things yeah sure is. but that's using the, tools what talking about articles shame this is the last uh this is the last episode in this series there was an article can't remember who sorry wrote about um using devices like the iphone Mm -hmm. uh and that it's kind of you know it's step one in a hundred you know it was comparing it to using things like hammers and other tools and we use our hands yeah all the time to you know to do stuff yeah and uh, but i can remember what that but 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 hand handwriting is just one way typing is using your um, fingers yes true so but but you can't do as much when you type you can only do text you can't do joining stuff up quickly and yeah and drawing a little diagram and a picture a smiley face yeah but that's that that may be okay i i don't know i'm Mm. I'm just wondering i I find it quite interesting because my 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 son is um um, autistic as you know Mm. and um one of the one of the things that he has a real problem with is handwriting it's all related in some way i don't quite understand it Mm. um and i you know cast getting quite fretting over why his handwriting is holding him back in his schoolwork because he's incredibly intelligent child Mm. but he, he has trouble with handwriting and i keep going you know he isn't going to handwrite in real life. How much? I mean, you you handwrite quite a lot still, but I hardly write anything by hand at all. You know, I just type mm. everything. I don't mean right. Yeah, I mean, I, I do tons of typing because handwriting. Unless it's, I, I'll do lists and things like that. Um, 
But yeah, I type. That's text. Yeah. What I'm talking about is if you're, you're taking talking about notes. notes. Well, I take all my notes. And you say but you're, you, you're but hamstringing yourself. No, you I think you're it. hamstringing yourself. The reason being is you talk about drawing an arrow from one place to another. Or right? a little diagram. Yeah. But, but an arrow from one place to another, almost, I've watched you take notes. Almost every time you do it, essentially what you're doing is wanting to connect two pieces of information together. Yeah. Well, on a computer, you just move them together. Mm-hmm. And actually, it's much more powerful. And and uh, uh, drawing little diagrams, yeah, I accept that. But those really basic diagrams, you can draw on screen. Those mm. are easy to do. It's the it's the delicacy and the detail of handwriting that is the problem. Yeah, I'm not. So convinced. I think you're a dinosaur and out. out no, out touch. I think I think <laughs> I'm not. So then, uh, I don't know. But that's what would be really interesting to see is which way it goes. Because either they're going to mm. solve this problem mm. and we'll all go back to handwriting again yeah, as yeah. this, this w- way of data entry, or handwriting's just going to go away entirely. And I've got no problem with typing. I quite like typing. I think typing's good, but it's limited to text. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah? Yeah, I said that. No, I'm... I'm, I'm yeah, Who knows? Don't Who care. knows? We'll Go on, let's, let's, let's do a joke to wrap, wrap up the show, and then I want to talk a little bit about next season. Okay, one of my favourite jokes, this one. Quite unpleasant, but hey-ho. <laughs> um, did you hear about the constipated mathematician? Oh, see, now immediately you have to lower the tone. Yes, go on, what's the, what, what about the constipated mathematician? He worked it out with a pencil. That's so grim. <laughs> Talking about handwriting. Um, that, that is... I just... I don't know how to respond to that one. I'm just... That's, that's my level of humour. Yes. There you go. It's very British humour, that, yes. isn't it? Right, let's talk a bit quickly about next season. This is the last podcast um, that we're going to do for season five. Yes. Yeah. Yes, yes, so um, so what we've now done is we've finished our season on looking at articles. Um, we're going to start a new season after Easter. It's going to be a little bit of a longer break than between um, season four and season five because I'm away a lot and, and I've got some holiday and stuff like that. So we're going to be coming back the week beginning the 15th of April. So the next podcast will go out on the 18th of April. Um, and the new podcast, uh, new season is going to be a and a time. We're just going to open it up, let people ask their questions, and we're going to answer answer those questions as best we can. And um, we might answer them ourselves. We might get other people to answer them. We're just going to take it as it comes, see how it goes. So what we need is some questions from you guys. Yes. You're more than welcome to email me questions at paul at um and send me audio. But also check out the Q&A section on the Boag World uh, website at Boag com forward slash questions um and then finally you can actually tweet questions um using the hashtag um help bw mm-hmm. uh, for help boag world um and we'll collect those questions together we'll pick the ones that we really love and include them on the show um what i also tend to do if you tweet them to me um if i think that other people might be able to answer them better i will retweet them on my tr- twitter stream um and that way lots of other people can join in the conversation as well so you don't need to at reply them to me you don't need to put at boag world you just need the hashtag um help bw so yeah, start getting in your um, your quotes uh, and, and um, suggestions for oh, sorry questions for next uh, season, and we will see you again on the week beginning the fifteenth of April. Thanks very much for listening. Have a good Easter. Cheers. Bye. Bye. Bye.